0: you're plugged in you in on this toyota's versatile suvs roll up their sleeves and take on tough jobs dress up for a night out or haul your family and friends with their spacious interiors and they're available with some real sweet tech want a hybrid suv oh yeah they got those too all with a slew of standard features so you won't break the bank get the juice at toyota.com folks visit your front range toyota stores today toyota let's go places Welcome into the DNVR Buffs Podcast, presented by the American Raptors. I'm Henry Chisholm, and today we're talking about the Minnesota game. Um, This isn't going to be fun, to be honest. Oh, that's not true. Everything we do on this podcast is fun. And there are some fun... You just have to remember, Mike Sanford was doing a lot of what was happening with Minnesota. And so when we talk about how well they game planned and those sorts of things, just picture that, but in the reverse, when the Buffs head up to... Minnesota. What what city is the University of Minnesota in? I don't even know. Up to. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm gonna Google it. Um, but yeah, you know, thirty to zero, all that sort of stuff. And uh, I guess we might as well jump in. Oh, it's in Minneapolis, huh? I th- that's what it says at least. Maybe there's a different campus. Oh. The Twin Cities campus comprises locations in Minneapolis and Falcon Heights. Is that where the Gophers are? I don't even know. Gophers. Let's see. Gophers location. We love listening to me Google on this podcast. Yeah, they're in Minneapolis, huh? Well, that's fun. Play at Huntington Bank Stadium. Wonder... Oh, that must be a bank. (laughs) For a second, I thought Huntington Bank was a guy. Just like an old-timey guy. But, um... That's some nonsense. There's no news to talk about. Oh, that's not true. Tad has won his first two basketball games with the U.S. national team. Well, U.S. U18 team. Very big difference. Um, They're down in Tijuana playing in the FIBA America's Cup. Um, No, America's Championship. Next up is the World Cup. I'm doing my best here. Um, But, like I said, they're uh, they're 2-0. Their first game was yesterday. That was against the Dominican Republic. Won that 116 to 48. Uh, and that turned out to be the uh closer of the two games. This time they beat uh Ecuador 123 to 41. Actually, wait, that's not closer. No, that uh, there we go. Okay, there we go. I was right. It's a little bit less close today. Um, I'm not sure who the big competition is. I'd guess like Mexico's good. I bet Canada has a decent team. I bet they're down there. Um, Brazil I guess has like a basketball history. It's a big country too. Who knows. Um but I mean the America America's basketball team should be beating the other basketball teams from around this part of the world or any other part of the world as well and doing it easily and that's what they're doing. So good for Tad not embarrassing himself by losing to these teams. Um into this Minnesota game. Uh let's see where do we start? Um, let, let's just start with kind of the big recap. So, like I said, they lose thirty to zero, which sounds bad because it is bad. Um, but you know, they were, they, they went down twenty to zero with less than a minute left in the first half. You know, it was it was thirteen to zero for a lot of that game, and you're just waiting for them to break through because when it's a thirteen zero game, if you can just go get one touchdown, that would go a very 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 long way. That just didn't happen. Um, like I said, they go up 20-0 to zero with, uh, what is this, 23 seconds left in the third quarter. Um, and then things kind of just get ugly. Um, you know, On the next Minnesota drive, they punt, but Dimitri muffs it. Actually, second muff of the game. This one, Minnesota recovers and uh, sets him up for a field goal there. Gets him to 23. Um, then they get a long drive where they just run the ball down the throats of a bunch of backup defenders for CU, and that gets them to 30. And in my mind, you know, that difference between 20-0 to and 30-0 to is probably bigger than it actually should be. You know, either one, you don't score points, and that's, that's really the story here. But the defense, I think, again, when you see 30 points, it's easy to feel bad about what the defense did you shouldn't feel that bad. You know there were missed opportunities for Minnesota too. There was a missed field goal in there. A couple missed field goals in there. Um but there were also a bunch of three and outs and they're going up against a good football team. Um potentially a better football team than Texas A&M. Uh I think they they finished 9 and 4. Yeah, they finished 9 and 4. They uh they were 6 and 3 in the Big 10. That's solid. That's a good football team um but still you know would like to at least make it competitive at some point after the first quarter. I guess that's the other part. 0-0 through the first quarter. So I don't know. I don't know. That's uh not great. We're going to get into some of the specifics. Um I mean first snap goes over Brendan Lewis's head. We just got to dig into just how s- shitty this team looked. Um first drive The snap goes over Brendan Lewis's head. Uh, They wind up having a second and 20. Uh, It's a little check down screen pass. Yeah, more of a screen pass. They throw Fontenot in motion, winds up empty because of it, and uh, throw the ball to Fontenot. He picks up like four yards there. Probably would have been more, but the ball was thrown behind him. Um, third, Third and 16, real excited about that. Oh, sounds like my lasagna is ready to come out of the oven. Um, third and sixteen, they uh, actually complete a decent pass to Brady. Um, it was a it was a ball on the sideline at the sticks. A great catch from Brady. Great through from Brendan holding on the backside. Uh, replay the down, and now it's third and twenty six. They uh, they hand the ball off to Alex Fonteno, who gains one yard, and Josh Watts punts on fourth and twenty five from the Colorado ten. I'm going to go get that lasagna out real quick and pause this. Okay, I'm back. It's a really good-looking lasagna. Uh, really good-looking. Um, it also needs to, like, settle. So this is actually kind of perfect timing because we got, what, 15 minutes here? 20 minutes left here? Uh, yeah. I'm totally focused on the podcast, though. Um, so, yeah. I mean, just your your ideal start to the game. A solid 4th and 25 punt from your own 10. Yeah. Um, it was a 62 yard punt 14 yard return kind of undoes some of that but yeah uh from there a bit of a a settling in period you know i kind of when i look at this game for the defense first of all it's a battle you know this isn't one of the times you look at what's happening and say like wow this colorado defense they sure are good they've got the edge here this was a this is a competitive battle and i probably come away I don't know. If you just look straight up at the football, like you probably think Colorado's defense. Ah! Maybe you give the edge to the, the Minnesota offense. When you factor in things like play calling and just how smart those coaches are, then you probably give the edge to Minnesota. Um, but just on the field, down in, down out, the you you might give the edge to Colorado. It's tough. Um, but this first drive, I think that the Buffs really did need to settle in and, and just kind of realize what they were up against. You know, Daniel Falele, the right tackle there. He winds up. I think he's with the Ravens now, I believe. Um, but he's what six foot nine, four hundred pounds, just a massive guy. And those are the guys they recruit there. Now, obviously, not everybody's four hundred pounds, but that right guard lined up next to him, he was massive too. And there were other pretty big guys on that line, and I do think that you it, it takes a second. To be like, okay, this is what's happening here. Especially when they're running all this power run stuff. They're running these RPOs. Um, you know, I mentioned this part of it yesterday, but it was their first pass of the game. Um, yeah, I believe that's the first pass of the game. Just, just a beautiful RPO. This is coming after a five-yard run, a nine-yard run, a five-yard run, and then they they again, it's an RPO. They don't call their first pass. Um, but the play that they run is two receivers on the left side, pretty close together. It's not like your true typical splits out there. Um, outside receiver runs a slant. Inside receiver has a little outside release, pauses a little bit, gets up, feel a little bit, then runs a slant in behind him after he crosses. And, again, that, that play call maybe is the most exciting thing thing that comes out of this game for me um, and the reason is Mike Sanford is the Buffs offensive coordinator now and the fact that he saw what the, the Buffs were running defensively that cover one and knew what knew how the defense is going to play and called this as the first time that the the pass was thrown it's just beautiful because again like to to go into the details again, that cover one the buffs run it's man across the board. You got a deep safety, you got a safety or a linebacker in the middle of the field. I don't know how many times I've said that on this podcast, but here it is again. Um, with the man across the board, what are you thinking if you're Christian Gonzalez? If you're Christian Gonzalez, you're thinking, well, I've got help in the middle. I've got to get this guy in the middle, so you're not too afraid about giving things up inside. There's help inside. What you don't want to do is let him outside you. So when this guy's fighting the outside, fighting the outside, and then bang, is happy to go inside, that's that's where he has his advantage in that coverage. But because of the way you run the play, you're not getting that help. First of all, because you're far enough outside, but second of all, because you already ran somebody through there who's who's mucking things up with Nate in the safety. So who knows? Maybe this is a coincidence that they ran this like staggered double slants look, but I would be very, very surprised if that was a case. That looks like just a perfect play call. I guess that's the other thing that you kind of look at here when you say, you know, Colorado's defense needs to settle into this game. Some of it probably is because I'm not sure Minnesota is working off a script, but they do know which plays they think are really going to work against this Colorado team because they, they again, not a lot of tape, and we'll get into that part in a second. But based on what they've seen they know what they want to run and they come out and and run the plays that they think are going to work best against this defense. And they do because that's what good coaches do because they come up with good game plans. And I think that that's something that will be very valuable for Colorado this season is just the, the mental side. They will be the, 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 the offense will be put in much better situations than they were last year. And this is only one of the reasons why, um, you know, we had a chance to talk to Mike Sanford a little bit about this game, basically saying, like, yeah, it was a really tough one because there wasn't a lot to go off of. And, again, there's some to go off of, for sure, from that A&M game. Um, but he was even saying, you know, we were looking back at the the spring game, you know, because that's on Pac-12 Network, trying to look at every angle we could find of that. You know, and they're cutting the interviews and stuff. It's getting in the way, but we did, we know that this th- this isn't the easiest game to game plan because it's a new quarterback. You don't know what they're going to run offensively. Um but there there's always pieces there and they were able to do really well with it. And uh yeah, I, I that that was one of the things I wanted to touch on. Uh winds up being a long drive. I mentioned they missed the field goal at the end. 11 plays, 52 yards, just kind of grinding, grinding, grinding. Um and then again it turns into a bit of a chess match where the the buffs are willing to commit to the run game. I think that's kind of the big thing I saw. They're willing to commit to the run game. Um that that cover 1 turned out more often than not when they're running the cover 1, Nate's just focused on the run game. You know, they're taking one of those guys out of coverage. Um Yeah, uh let's let's run through some more of these notes here. Um, let's stick with when they were on the field, when Minnesota was on the field. Um, just Guy is strong is the thing that I wrote in here. Looked really strong. Guy Thomas. Um The, the interior guys outside of Sami and Niam Rodman got pushed around a little bit. Um, which again is not a huge surprise. Those are guys who hadn't gotten a lot of reps for the most part, um, and they're going up against this. Group in particular. Um, oh, there was another little pick play. This is, you know, uh, so again, when you watch these games, you go back and watch. You, you watch the play to see what happens. Then you watch play again to actually, like, know what you're looking for. And you wind up watching again and again after that because there's usually two or three things you want to look for. Um, but the, the first time I saw this play, so third and three, it's an RPO. Um, it's a little screen from the outside, two receivers right. One outside is coming inside, running up the line. Um, and when I saw what happened, I thought, oh, is this a call because they were in off coverage? And it wasn't an off coverage. Um, it was actually just a pure pick. Like, And and the inside guy runs out and and finds the corner and kind of blocks him a little bit. And I think it's actually a legal play since they're close to the line of scrimmage out there. But, you know, that is uh, just a pure kind of just block there and it works like they hit the other guy and he's open. And he's able to pick up a decent gain and convert the, the third down. Um, and, and you do see that other stuff that I was looking for. What I really want to see was it was just a quick read that they were an off coverage. Um, and there was occasionally you'd see him run that little screen or something short underneath when there was off coverage um, because that's the way the offense works. You know, it's quarterback intensive and, and that's something we've heard from the quarterbacks, from the coaches um, with Mike Sanford coming over, that it is more quarterback intensive, and you see that in this game, you you see that he that that the quarterback is flipping runs. You know, there's a run later in the game where it's a uh, they're in spread There's the running back. Everybody else is lined up out wide. It flips the running back from the left to the right. Um, because he has leverage that way. It's a light box. He knows he's going to run. He says, this is where our angle's best. Bang. You know, it's, it's going to be a challenge maybe for these quarterbacks to pick up on those sorts of things, but the fact that that's what they're doing I think is a really great sign. It's a really great sign. You know, when you watch this Minnesota offense, it's really hard to say anything about the coaches other than, wow, wow, they look sharp. They look so sharp. And they're just doing so many smart things. And that's that's exciting. Um, but but we can move on from some of that stuff. Um, a couple other details. I mean, Chris ottman Bell is a stud receiver. I just checked. He he decided to go back to school for a super senior season. Um he I believe he'd missed the first two games and then was healthy in time for this one. Lucky for the buffs. There were some battles between him and Makai Blackman. Battles. You know, there was a pass interference that was called on Makai where it was a tight one. It was at the goal line. He kind of turned around, and I thought, like, maybe he can knock it away. And he got his hands on it. I thought he was going to pick it, honestly. But, um, you know, there's a couple plays where Makai makes a play on the ball. Um, Watching those two go at it and talk to each other, I mean, that's high-level stuff. And I think, I mean, Ottman Bell finished with a decent number of yards, um, receiving four for 79. Yeah, um, you know, it is interesting kind of going back through and watching these games, you know, those those receivers for a like they're not bad receivers, but they're not Chris Ottman-Bell, and they're not Drake London, and I'm curious to see what exactly Mackay and Christian look like against those guys because my my working theory right now is that they are locked down against average receivers, and they can hold their own against these these Chris Ottman-Bell-type receivers but against elite receivers you know drake london you know that's just a battle they're going to lose um and i feel pretty good about that kind of being what the secondary was last year now losing those guys can you b- get back to even that level this year probably not you're probably a step down from there you're probably chris optman bell this time around i bet he does better than 4 for 79 um you know and i don't think he's going for 200 or anything but i bet it's better than 4 for 79 um. although Nigel Bethel played well. He didn't play all that much. I was just looking. Yeah, he was only on the field for 12 snaps, but he uh, didn't give anything up, was targeted twice, and uh, finished with the best grade, pro football focus grade on the team. Uh, he had an 82. Chance Lytle had a 70.3. Nate had a 73.8, so by a wide margin. Again, yeah, I'm not really sure. I didn't see him get hurt. I'm curious, though, um, who Chris Miller got beat by Ottman Bell. I guess that was probably the big one. I mean, that I think that one was like 33 yards or something. Ottman Bell beat Chris Miller down the sideline. Um, kind of pushed off him at the end, and they probably could have called a hold uh, in the pocket as well, but it is what it is. Tyron Taylor, six snaps. Nico Reed, four snaps. Those are guys coming in late. Um, It must have just been... I don't see where Chris Miller is. Chris Miller only played five snaps. Oh, because he got hurt on that play. Of course, because he got hurt on that play as well. Um, Who is taking all these snaps? So, Makai had 63 snaps. Uh, Did I miss? Oh, yeah. Christian had 68. There he is up at the top. Um, And then for corners, Bethel had 12 and Time Taylor at six. So, yeah, I mean, I guess they were just heavy so much because that's... Of course, I mean, that of course that's what it is. They were heavy so much because they're playing Minnesota. And, and, I mean, because Minnesota puts extra linemen and tight ends and all that stuff out there. That's pretty crazy, though, that your number three corner is only on the field for 12 snaps in a college football game. Just doesn't... Does not happen often at all. Um... Yeah, anything else from the Buffs' defense? I Jalen Sami did great work. Um, he, was, he was really plugging things up mostly, but there were a couple plays when they got in behind him even that he was chasing him down. And I was like, wow. It's 50-50 that a defensive lineman is willing to run down the field, and he's one of the guys who runs. So you have to give him props for that. Um, Terrence Lang, he, he burst in the backfield a couple times. Guy Thomas, like I mentioned earlier, was kind of everywhere. Naim got in the backfield a lot. Like those, those are some good battles up front. I don't want you to think that they're just getting pushed around. Sami held his ground. Lang and Naim, like it was, it was 50-50. You know, sometimes they were blowing into the backfield. Sometimes they were holding their gap. Sometimes they were getting blocked. Um, but those were some really good battles. Um, even, even Justin Jackson, he stood out a couple times for, for plays that he made. Um, I wonder, what does the stat say about him? Played 18 snaps. Did they give him a stop? Yeah, he had the one stop. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's probably most of it. Linebackers, Nate um, actually missed a couple tackles, but it was a great game still for him. 13 tackles, you don't see that very often. At the, the Pac-12 Network broadcast, uh Cut uh when they were talking about Nate to Noah Fensky sitting on the lo- on the sideline. Put like the Nate stats up below. Noah Fensky, famously uh the offensive lineman who wears number 53, not Nate Landman who wears number 53. So some great work there. As always, um Tanner Morgan is gonna be back this year. We're gonna talk about the upcoming opponents later on, I guess. So we'll we'll dig into some more of that stuff there. Um like in a couple weeks. But yeah, I think we can leave it at that for the Buffs' defense and get into the offense here in just a second. Real quick though, Breckenridge Brewery is awesome and they're doing something even more awesome right now. That is this. Uh, They want to help out people who have supported this community through a challenging year and they want to do that by giving Avs tickets to a pair of community stars during the playoffs. Um, And they're doing this for the Stanley Cup Finals. It's going to be awesome what you need to do is go to their website and nominate a stellar community member and an Avs fan who should get the chance to celebrate at a playoff game. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun, so definitely, uh, definitely get in there. I know you know some good person. Throw their name in there and remember to be drinking Avalanche ales during this playoff run. Go to brackbrew.com to nominate a community star and send them to an Avs playoff game. Also. Draft Kings Sportsbook. We love Draft Kings Sportsbook for a bunch of different reasons. They make it easy for us to make money, um, including on the Stanley Cup final. I guess we don't have the matchup yet, um, especially now. So right now, the, the Blues Rangers game just ended, um, and it's 2-2 in the series. I'm so excited for the abs. But, I mean, you can bet on the NBA playoffs as well. There's another game there tomorrow night, and uh, you can actually bet $5 on either team You'll get $150 in free bets. It's an awesome promotion. You don't even have to get your bet right. It just happens instantly. You can even use those bets for other things that you want to bet on during that game. So definitely sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, and uh, use the code DMVR because you can make any $5 bet during the NBA Finals. You will get $150 in free bets instantly. It's promo code DMVR only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit. Restrictions apply. See draftkingscom sportsbook for details. Gambling problem, call 1 800 522 4700. Also, want to give a shout out to our friends over at Lightshade Dispensary. They've, uh, they've got a bunch of different locations around town now. The biggest, though, is the Barnum location. It's a block off of 6th and Federal. It is the biggest light shade store with specialty products that are not offered at other locations. Uh, they've got 11 total locations that are around Denver and Aurora. It really is your best option. They've got all the different cannabis concentrates, top shelf flour, edibles, tinctures, accessories, all that stuff. And they have... One of the best in-store experiences of any dispensary. So definitely get in there. And remember that if you use that code DNVR, you can get 25% off all non-sale items. So take advantage of that as well. All right. Into the CU offense, which is going to be so fun. Um, I guess we kind of started it off early. Were we going to lead off with the offense? We might have been. Flip that later on, though. Um there's a lot that went wrong. There's a lot that went wrong. I mean, there has to be, right? Uh they they just could not produce in any capacity. Um but I think what was most disappointing was the running game. Um Again, let's let's hit this big picture part first. And the big picture here is that this game was where reality really set in. Um this is where you realize what this Colorado football team is. And and again, like you don't, it's not necessarily a team that loses every game thirty to zero, but you know that this offense is not good, and that it's pretty unlikely that it's going to turn around and be good. You know, if it winds up that that CU has an average offense after what you've seen through these first three games, you're very happy with that. And again, that that that's the change here. I think even before that. You could have not high hopes, but decently high hopes. You know, it's easy to look at that Northern Colorado game and say, yeah, they didn't score in the first quarter. And that sucks. And we wish that they would have, and they absolutely should against Northern Colorado. At the same time, it's a new quarterback. There's a lot of changing pieces. They finished with 35 points. It's whatever. Sure. Against Texas A&M, you're like, well, they only scored seven points. But also, it's an SEC defense. It's it's a game that was only decided by three points. You know, the game dictated that they only had that much. Like, they fit right into what was happening. And, yeah, it, it, those are excuses. They're excuses that could have made sense for a team that was decent um, offensively. But when you lose this game 30-0, to you see this offense really struggle. That's when you realize this is not going to be a good offense. Um it's probably not even going to be league average. You don't know that it's going to be as bad as it as it was, but you start to see the signs that say this could be one of the worst Power 5 offenses this season. Um and so that's really disheartening. Um Let's talk about this running game. Let's talk about this running game. It was really bad. Um at the end of the game they finished with negative 19 rushing yards on 21 carries. You know, a lot of that is that there was, there was four sacks. Those four sacks count as rush attempts, so those knock you down a little bit. Um, but, I mean, it's not like things were great outside of that. You know, that that might have gotten them up to zero. Um, Jarek Broussard, five carries, eight yards. Alex Fonteno three carries, four yards. Deion Smith, a carry for a yard. Sean Clayton, two carries, lost four yards. Um, Drew Carter's your leading rusher, two carries for nine yards. So not good, right? Really really not good. Um but they were put in tough positions first of all the running backs were. Um and and it was weird going back and watching because you you see it's a run play like you look like I said, you know, first watch you're like, "Oh, it's a run to the left." Oh, and it didn't go well. Well, let's hit that back button and see what happened. It's like, "Well, wait. This guy, this guy got." Him. Well, why didn't this guy block him? was like, oh, this guy's summits this guy. And you wind up counting all the defenders and realizing there's just more defenders than there are blockers. You know, there were times when the blockers blew up their assignments and that there were big mistakes. But more often than not, when these runs are getting stuffed, you just look and say, well, yeah. I mean, look, here's seven blockers, eight blockers, and here's, you know, eight guys who are playing defense or nine guys who are playing defense. And all of a sudden they have that advantage. This is just what happens. This is just what happens. And, and they're able to defend like that because there isn't the threat of the passing game. And, and I do think that in going back and watching this, you know, we talked about it a lot when Minnesota had the ball. Um, the idea that, you know, oh, look, it's a light box. We should run the ball. Like, oh, they've got six defenders. We've got five blockers. But guess what? We're going to leave this guy on the backside. We're going to leave Carson Wells on that edge totally unblocked, run the ball away from him so he's not even a part of the play, and all of a sudden it's five on five. Who knows? Maybe the first guy who gets to the running back, who's gonna be eight yards downfield minimum, maybe the running back makes him miss too, and all of a sudden we've got a real big play. If not, this should be successful as long as everybody just does their job. So we're talking about that over there. On this side, we're it's kind of the opposite conversation, where they're running the ball without the numbers advantage. And you're asking the running back to 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 make somebody miss just to turn it into a four or five yard gain. And I mean, there's, there's some of it you blame on coaching. You know, there, there were absolutely plays where, you know, it's a stretch run to the weak side, which, first of all, I typically just hate those. You know, tight ends on the right. You're just trying to get outside on the left. But on top of that, when you're running to the left and the numbers don't make sense, the alignments don't make sense, the, the, the assignments don't make sense. You know, the guard needs to get downfield to block this guy. So you have your center who's trying to reach out in front of this three technique, and your center's not athletic enough to get out in front of him and on top of that, you wind up having your tackle Jake Wiley out there blow the block on uh, whoever the defensive end is and that one wasn't boy Moff on the play I'm thinking of. Um, but you know, it's not to call out Jake Wiley in particular or Kobe Purcell in particular like it was there was nobody up front who really played well you know it was a tough showing across the board. Um, and occasionally you do look at the coaches though in those situations and say like how would that play have worked? How would it have worked? There's other times like when you're running into a box that's loaded when you say, "How would that have worked?" but also what's your other option? Throw the ball? We know what happens if we try to throw the ball. You know the Brendan Lewis was eight to sixteen for fifty five yards. There's that q b r that's like the I think it only goes up to like hundred, but he scored a four point four for the game on it. There just weren't a lot of options um and it was a rough watch. It was a rough watch. Um, I think I I did key in on the receivers in particular on these passing plays. There were some times where they came open. You know, there was one where there. Here's a play for example. Um, I believe it's a third down. Actually, let me check my notes here. I'm sure I can find it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this was like the second second offensive ball. No, maybe the third. No, I think it's a second offensive drive. Um. Third and seven, just a big cover three defense. Brady lines up a tight end. So cover three, that means you got four guys across the the middle of the field with three guys deep behind him. So those four guys, obviously, there's there's gaps in between them. One of those gaps is dead in the middle of the field. Um, Brady's running behind him. He's running about ten yards downfield. It's a big dig route. And uh you know, those guys are sitting just a yard or two short of the sticks. So he's probably a good five yards behind him. You see that he's going to come free as soon as he hits the middle of the field behind him. There's that gap in the middle. I think Brendan sees it too. Um, but there's pressure, as there often was. He was pressured on 55% of his dropbacks. That's a ridiculously high number. Um, and, you know, he gets. There's a. The left tackle gets beat. I believe it's Jake Wyatt. They might have flipped during the game in this one. I think they might have flipped during the game. Um, but. Uh, You know, there's pressure off the left side. And, yeah, that was Phillip. I did put that in the notes because they did flip during the game. Um, And, you know, it means he has to move in and the guy's kind of there. And that's one where, like, if it's Patrick Mahomes, he's able to just kind of, like, sidearm whip one as he's moving in the pocket and fling it straight up the middle and get to Brady and it'd be a first down. I don't know that there's a college quarterback who could have who's even capable of making the throw that is needed there. Um, It probably takes just like one of the very best of the, of the best. Um, But you do see that window. I think you could see him see that window as well, but there's pressure there and then pressure comes from the other side and you just can't get that throw off. Um, He does a good job to extend the play as long as he did, but it's a punt. You wind up with the punt. So, there's there's stuff like that where you see, like, okay, the receiver was going to come open. There are also a lot of times where the receivers just were not going to come open, where everything was covered up. You know, there's a third down where there's a a decent amount of pressure. Like, it, it it's the, whatever, two-and-a-half-second rule. Get the ball out in two-and-a-half seconds. Um, and he just has to check it down to Alex Fontenot. It's a third and eight. You pick up. And I think it might have been a third and ten and you pick up eight, something like that. I think that's right. I th- the reason I think that's right is because I was going through the game log checking some things um here's a here's a fun little scenario you gotta you gotta decide what what would you do in this situation and I'll set the scene. um It's fourth and six. you're down thirteen to zero. There's two minutes and fifteen seconds left in the first half. So fourth and six, down thirteen to zero. Two, two minutes and fifteen seconds. here are your options. You can kick the field goal. It's a 56-yard field goal. You're at their 39, 56-yarder. Or you can punt the ball, again, from inside the opponent's 40-yard line. Or you can go for it on 4th and six. And, and see if you can pick it up. Now, obviously, like the, the big thing you're worried about here is if things don't go well, you could be setting up Minnesota with good field position. And that's why you wouldn't be scared to try the, the field goal. You'd be scared to go for it. But the reason this came to mind here is because I was going back and counting. To that point, Colorado had run 25 offensive plays. Four of them had gained six yards or more. 21 of them had gained five yards or less. So when you're trying to decide here, do you try the 56 yard field goal? Do you go for it on fourth and six, knowing that only four of your 25 plays so far have gained six yards? Do you are you willing to take the boos that come along with punting from the 39? I there there's no right answer. And what Carl went with was we're going for it. They tried to throw, it was a sack, and they got lucky, honestly. Like the defense stepped up, didn't give up any points before the half win halftime 13 0. But, I mean, that's just one of those situations where, you know, you talk about how smart the coaches look for Minnesota when you go back and watch what they were doing. It's like, yeah, I don't even know that CU's coaches had that option given what they were working with, you know? Like, I I don't think there's a world in which you come out of that game thinking, wow, what a smart game. Especially because when you you get to situations like this, you know, you can try a 56-yard field goal and, what, there's a 20% chance it works? maybe, and that cuts it to 10, which, again, you're still facing a double-digit deficit. You can punt the ball, and you're doing that. You're getting booed for that. Nobody's going to like that. You can try to pick it up, and it looks like a dumb decision to go for it on 4th and 6th when you're not picking things up. And, again, I, I think it is worth remembering that we're looking back at this with the hindsight of an entire season, where at that point they're probably thinking or at least hoping that they just need a spark Get this offense going, then they're off and running. They're at least decent the rest of the year. Um, They don't know that this is a terrible offense. Although, to that point, again, 21 of 25 plays would not have picked up those six yards. So, I don't know. This is not a situation where coaches are oftentimes going to find a way to look smart. Um, What else do we have on the offense? You know, some more of those rollouts, you know, a couple decent throws. It's just that not nearly enough of them. You know, there's a lot where it's just like, uh, oh, there's a, a third down, um, where one of my sister's college friends who I've never even heard of. Just follow me. I'm headed out to Minnesota for graduation. Carlton, Carlton college. Maybe one of you has ever heard of that. I hadn't beforehand. Um, so, uh, but yeah, just, uh, why did I say that in the middle of the sentence? But, uh, yeah, he rolls out, it's a I'm right down. Oh, third and six. There we go. Third and six. Um, This is actually the play before that play we were talking about. I didn't realize when I started this, but uh, he rolls out. Henry's in the slot. Henry is, is downfield. He's, he's running an out route and Brendan tries to throw the ball to him and he just runs straight into some sort of zone defender straight into him, gets crushed, just demolished pounded and uh then it leads to that fourth and six that came up but um just just things like that we're like ooh, i mean i get on fourth and six with this off or third and six this offense like just let him try to to make a play i don't know but you also got him hit there were a couple of those who got hit usually brendan was getting hit too so it's tough to like talk too much shit to him about it um you know there was one play where uh he uh let's see it is play action. No, it's not play action. That's why I made the note. It's not play action. It's just like a an immediate bootleg to the right. So blocking to the right, you know, change things up. And he's getting a pass rush, change things up a little bit. Dimitri Stanley's in the slot. It's like a 5-yard out route from the slot and he has leverage. He has a he has I mean the defender's probably reaching out and touching his back the whole time. But Brendan did have a lane to just you just have, have to throw it in front of him. And I don't know if he didn't trust his arm to keep that ball in front of him. I don't know what it was, but he was unwilling to throw it and winds up throwing it away from the sideline. And, you know, it's just like, yeah, that's when we do need to give him a chance. Maybe not so much on the penry one. There there were other plays where you no, know, there's a big dig route, in route from from Dimitri in the slot. He's coming across the middle. Looks like he's about to cross this guy and, and at the last second you can see Brendan see another zone defender kind of cheating over game ready to make a play. Holds the ball. Winds up forcing it to somebody else, but I think it was Arius and he had position, kinda of boxed him out, couldn't bring the ball in. He had he had uh actually wait. That might not have been no, it was Dimitri. I this is a bad note. I said it was Dimitri crossing. It must not have because I could swear it was Dimitri in the in the flat. I wrote that both of those guys were him. But you know, you get the point. There was an open receiver on the line of scrimmage. He probably would have picked up like three yards. Um, but yeah, um, there was one more throw I wanted to. Oh, a Tanner Morgan throw, and it's a it's a play action play, a deep crossing route. Um, maybe only two receivers in routes. Everybody just protecting. He drops back on those throws. You're just waiting for the receiver to cross the defender. Just get in f- as soon as as soon as you know, if there's a, a zone defender in the middle and there's a receiver crossing in front of him, as soon as the receiver is dead in front of that defender, you're good to throw the ball because the receiver is going to win that race because he's starting from a running position versus a standing position. So you're just waiting for him to cross the defender's face. And you see him, like, it's three, four steps before the receiver gets to the defender. And, and you see... Tanner just drop back. There's just a little hitch there. He bounces a little bit. He's timed up his footwork, so as soon as he crosses, just bang. delivers a great ball. It's a big play. And you just see that and think, like, that poise in the pocket, the understanding of where the receiver's going to be, the patience to not panic. Again, it's easier to not panic when you have that offensive line versus what Brennan was working with. And then to to time things up with the footwork and hit it, that was just a veteran play. And it was impressive, and it stands out in a game like this when – you're you're paying attention to these quarterbacks. Um Yeah, I think that's most of it. There I mean there was a nice throw to Brendan. Little play action comeback down the sideline, hits him there. Um oh I didn't bring up the fumble. The fumble is I, I wrote in the story that, that accompanies this, which you should read. Um Brendan Brendan's fumble was kind of the turning point. It was a first down near midfield um just runs up the middle, gets the ball knocked out. Again, like when you're asking the quarterback to run the ball this many times, it feels like it's, you're going to get a fumble, right? Like it's going to happen eventually. Still got to hold the ball, got to protect the ball. Um oh, actually yeah. Yeah, that what that did set the touchdown to go up 20 to 0. I mean that that kind of ended it. I think that's the only other play we got to talk about, but yeah. Um I feel like that does it. I feel like I've hit most of the uh the big points here, right? You know, the things need to be better. The that offense it it became very real in this game just what they were and um uh, it's disappointing and uh yeah. Buffs are one and two. We'll uh, get to the next game when we get there. Uh, appreciate you all for listening. That's that is ASU, right? It's got to be ASU. It's got to be ASU. Yeah, yep, yep. Okay, we'll talk about that in a couple days. I'll be back talking about something tomorrow. We'll see what that is. I'm sure it'll be fun, though, so see you then.